Welcome to Backseat Drivers Podcast, where we cover everything from business strategies, office shenanigans, and any hot topic that gets us fired up. We will give you all the stories, tips, and advice that you never asked for or wanted, because we are the Backseat Drivers. Welcome to episode... 17 of uh, Backseat Drivers. We have a special guest that we've been talking about having on for weeks and weeks and weeks now, Mr. Mike Tatlock. Hello, Mike. Hey, what's up, guys? Good to see you. I thought you were just just a imaginative thing <laughs> person for Andrew because he kept saying, oh, we're going to have him on. We're going to have him on. Are we? Who is this guy? I don't know. Well, why don't you tell us who you are, Mike? Yeah, I appreciate it. And Andrew has been. I mean, we set this up a while ago. Yeah. And my schedule has been kind of goofy on my end, but no, it's an honor to be here, you guys. I think podcasts are a powerful day. Love what you guys are doing. So yeah, I mean, I'm a, a couple things I do. First, most important is my family. You know, I'm a dad. Been married for 27 years. Got two kids, 23-year-old daughter, 19-year-old son. Love my family. We live here in Wilsonville. Pastor of a church called Grace Chapel. And uh, they're also a chaplain for the Portland Trailblazers. Awesome. Cool. 27 years. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a long time. Yeah, congratulations on that. I know. People look at us and like, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> like, did you all get married when you were like in middle school or what? Like, you got part of some weird community or something? Like, <laughs> you guys have what? Like two like young adult kids? Like, no, we, we married young. I was 21. She was 20. You know, that's yeah. the way we did it back in the day, yeah. though. Yeah. Even the generation before us, they got married at like 11 and 12. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, my grandma was 15 when she got married. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So now, nowadays they always talk about like the average marriage day is pushed back to like the uh, late 20s. Yeah. So it just gets a little bit late. It's probably not yeah. bad because they say like the frontal cortex isn't developing anyway until right. later. So yeah. maybe that's a good thing. Especially for males. <laughs> right. you know, guys need a little bit more time Seriously. to figure it out. Yep. Yeah, I was I was 20 when I got married, so yeah, yeah, it. yeah. That's the way we did it. Yeah. So both your kids are out of high school then. Yeah. Nice. Out of high school. Yeah. Going yeah. to college or? No, it's really cool though. Like, so my daughter, she's 23. She went to high school, graduated with honors, got a college scholarship to hoop, and she played one year of college basketball and then was kind of like what do I want to do with my life and she went into it to go into teaching but then they canceled the teaching program so she's like why am I here and then she just started volunteering she's got a real creative side of her started working with teens working at camps and now what she started is her own she's a freelance photographer okay awesome and so she does like most of our photos for our church everything on our social media she does wedding gigs she's kind of everywhere she does portrait she's really busy with that she's got her first published Oh, wow. Photo, yeah. Really kind of a big deal for her. Yeah. So she's doing that, staying busy with that. And then my son, 19, Jaden, he's uh, he works here at the church. Okay. He's like... He's the man on campus with the key. Uh, you, you know where that goes. Like, remember the kids? Like, uh, yeah. I remember in like college and high school, whoever had the key, they were like, oh, like he wanted to be that guy's friend. Yeah. Like, yeah. College, especially if you had a key to the gym. Uh-huh. That was it. Like, yeah. you were you're more important than anybody else. So he's the kid that helps us oversee a lot of our evening programs mm-hmm. here at the church and helps make sure everybody gets what they need and gets those things running. So he's doing doing a good job. Almost like that. the concierge. Like that's he's that, the, like the actually, go-to yeah. guy. Yeah. That's it. That's what he nice. does. Yeah. Yeah, so this church is uh, really nice. The gym is amazing, really great. It's uh, great what you guys are able to do with the community here. Mm-hmm. I believe the service is shutting down Sunday for graduation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we I mean, we have across the street from us is Oregon Institute Technology, OIT. 
and one of their campuses. And so they have uh, graduations this weekend. And we have a parking agreement with them. Long story not to get into it, but basically when we built this this building, it made more sense for us to use their parking and mm -hmm. instead of spending money on a parking lot. But there's every once in a while they need it for their events, which mm -hmm. means uh, we don't have parking on Sunday. It's a mm -hmm. good thing though. So yeah. makes us have to push into meeting the homes and stuff. And that's really good. Help people get connected that way too. So, yeah. so it's a good, it's a good win for everybody. So tell us what it's like working uh, with the Blazers as a chaplain. Yeah, it's crazy. So I, you know, when I was a kid, you know, I played sports and basketball was my main thing and, you know, always aspired. Like every kid when you're dreaming, you know, it's like go out in the playground, three, two, one, you're imagining mm -hmm. that like championship game, winning shot. It's like every kid aspires to like being, but, you know, I played college ball, like I wouldn't say, it definitely wasn't D1, but we got to play in Europe a little bit with nice. Athletes in Action. Athletes in Action was a, like a Christian sports ministry, mm -hmm. you know, and so basically we would go overseas, we would do camps in the community, we'd play hoops, do exhibition games. So we'd play some like D1 schools, we'd play some like uh, national teams, and then we'd tell people about Jesus, and then we'd go do work in the community with kids, clinics and things like that. So even when I was in college, I really saw how sports and ministry mesh really well. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of parallels in sports. In fact, yep. the Bible uses a lot of parallels in right. illustrations that like really, you know, parables that like, oh man, that makes sense, you know? And so I always saw that connection when I was younger never thought about being a chaplain for an NBA team. Like, that wasn't even on the radar. I wasn't even thinking about that. But I always knew it was there, but didn't know much about it. There was a magazine called Sports Spectrum. And Sports Spectrum, when I was in high school, this was before there was the internet, and you'd have to go to the library, and, and everybody's, like, checking out books and stuff. I was like, man, where's the Sports Spectrum? And sports Illustrated, where's those two magazines, right? That's what Sports Spectrum was basically a sports magazine. It's basically like Sports Illustrated, but it was all about Christian athletes sharing their stories. And it was really cool. And so in there, there'd be like articles written by like chaplain so-and-so. And I was like, man, these teams have like a pastor? Hmm. Well, that's a sweet gig. Who wouldn't, who wouldn't want that, <laughs> right. right? So I, I just like knew about it, that it was there, but I didn't know anything about it. You fast forward about eight years, eight, nine years ago, I invited a guy that I got to know. His name's Al Egg. Al Egg was a chaplain for the Blazers. I'm working at Grace Chapel, invited him to come out and speak at some men's stuff. Man, I just love that guy. Like, had so much respect for him. He was the one of the founding guys for the chaplain ministry in the NBA. Oh, wow. Huh. In fact, people don't know this, but the Portland Trailblazers was the first team to have a home chapel at every home game. Really? really? Yeah. And oh. so then, anyways, you, you kind of go from there. One day, I developed this really close friendship with a guy named Mike Barrett. Mike Barrett was a broadcaster play-by-play -play for the Portland Trailblazers and man we just became very close like brothers like really close friends and uh, man he's had a huge impact in my life so Mike's working for the Blazers we have this really close friendship well Mike starts inviting you know Mike's one of the most evangelistic guys I know he's tells everybody about Jesus and and everybody in the organization loves Mike you know when you look at the Blazers even though he was the play-by-play -play broadcaster he had influence all the way up to the general manager because of the way he lived his life and the way that he cared about people, his testimony, people were like, man, Mike's a guy that you can talk to, right? So he just had that, that influence. And so Mike developed a relationship with a guy named Steve Blake. And, you know, Steve Blake, you know, played three times for the Blazers, Lakers. Three One, times, really? Yeah, he did. Oh, played three I knew times. twice, but. Yeah. He finished his career really with the Blazers. Mm -hmm. He had a stint where he went over and played in Australia, but and then he coached for a little bit with the Suns, but really he finished with the Blazers his third time. Mm. 
And so what happened was Mike starts reaching out to Steve as a player. And a lot of the players look up to Mike, and so Steve was one of those guys. And, well, Steve starts coming to church. And I'll never forget one Sunday, you know, I see Steve Blake walk into church. And, you know, when guys walk into a church, you don't want to, you want to give them their space, you know. Like I heard one time Damian Lillard was in a church service on one day, and the pastor in the middle of the service talked about tithing and looked right at Dame and was like, right, Dame? And uh-huh. like called him out. I'm like, you know, like, come on, man. Like, that's not cool. These guys right. just need this place to go, and they just want to, like, experience God and stuff. So so I see Steve walk through church, and I just... I'd say hi to him, like you don't ignore him, but I'd be, I wouldn't even talk hoops. I'd be just like, hey man, what's up? And how you doing with your family? And great to see you and that kind of stuff. And Steve reached out to me, I'll never forget, he called me one day. He's like, hey Mike, man, I'm really trying to work through some stuff in my life and um, trying to overcome some addiction to alcohol. I mean, he's, he, this is public. And he's like, do you have some time that we could connect? And I'm like, yeah. So we started hanging out and then Steve and I got really close and we became really, really close friends and just started just speaking to his life, spending time together, and uh, kind of word go from there. Mike and some other guys, Hersey Hawkins. Anybody remember yeah, Hersey yeah. Hawk? You know, Hawk played Dream Team, yep. played with Jordan back in the day. Well, Hersey, strong believer, uh, he's in charge of chapel services with the Blazers. Okay. That falls under him. And so all that to say, we got connected, Mike, Steve, Hersey, and Al was moving into his, you know, Al been there for 30-some years as the chaplain. And so everything was kind of turning over a new chapter, and my name came up, and they ran it up the flagpole to the GM, and he was like, yeah, he saw the testimony of what God did in Steve's life, and he's like, bring him in. So it was a Who God was thing. the GM at that time? Neil O'Shea. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole other conversation. I know, you know, people read headlines, you know, and you see things in headlines, and then you see things behind, and some it's true, some it's not, and you know, you, you just, I tell people all the time, don't believe everything you read. Right. Especially when it comes to sports, everybody's everybody's quick to get a story, but they're not quick to get the truth. Right? Yeah. Well, I think that's news in general right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, they just go for it. They see it. They go for it, and then later it's like, oh well, okay, that's not really what happened. Yeah. But here's the truth now. How long have you been with the Blazers then? So this will be. It's been five seasons, and this will be going into six seasons. COVID made things a little interesting. Yeah. But. Yeah, we usually what it kind of looks like, a lot of people don't know this, but every team has a chaplain. And before every home game, there's a chapel, before every home game. And it's consistent across the league. So one hour, there's a clock. So there's a bunch of clocks throughout the arena. And every player knows as soon as like it's 60 on the clock, countdown, you know tip-off is happening literally at the end of that. Chapel happens before every game in every arena. 60 minutes before 60 minutes okay. before every player knows that like that's the that's so it's consistent everybody's like now when are we doing this when's this happening so 60 on the clock somewhere in every arena there is a room where there is a chapel service and both teams meet before the game no do they yeah so check this math out this is crazy so there's about you know if you add up how many regular season home games it's like 44 home games something yep. like mm-hmm. that right you got preseason and you got postseason Every team has a preseason, not every team has a postseason. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you kind of add that up. There's a there's a chapel service before every one of those. Huh. And so what happens, though, check this out. So players will go to a home chapel, but they also go to chapel on the road. Huh. So that means if you got 44 home games, that means you got that many games on the road. Right. So you got 80-some games plus preseason, postseason. You're, you're yeah. over 100 games a season 
guys are going to chapel. They go to church more than anybody else goes to church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Just thinking about like, just from a number wise, there's only 52 Sundays in a year. Right. Yeah. And that's like, I don't know anybody. <laughs> I don't even know. Like, even pastors don't go to church. 100%. Like, I don't know if I've seen you here. 52 <laughs> exactly. <weeks. laughs> exactly. Well, nobody goes 52 weeks out of the year, but those guys, they, they'll go to, you know, a lot of guys are consistent. It's part of their pregame deal. And how long just, is each one? Each chapel is about 15 minutes, okay. like formally. So guys know they get in because guys are scheduled. A lot happens before an NBA game. Mm-hmm. Guys have personal workouts. Guys are getting treatment taped. Guys are meeting with coaches to get, you know, pregame strategy. Then there's t- it's a lot happens before a game. So we make it really tight and guys come in right on the clock, 60 and we're done it, you know, 15 minutes later and we meet together and we give a little bit of word. And then we pray together, we bring it in and we pray together and then guys, you know, get going from there. What's the percentage of like the opposing team that shows up? That's a good question. Depends on the team. I would say this depends on the leader of the team. Okay. Yeah. I mean, as the leader goes, so goes with a lot of stuff. Right. And so I look at teams around the league. So like for us, we had strong leadership here. And I, by, by what I mean by that is Portland, pre-COVID, Portland had the most turnout for chapels at home and on the road. Wow. And I don't get credit for that. We got, had guys like uh, Hersey Hawkins, right? He's in charge of chapels and he's passionate about it. Another guy named John Ross. John Ross, man, awesome dude. Worked for the Blazers, video scout, video team, like on all that. But man, he was helped coordinate chapels. We always talk about the inside man and who's the inside man that says this is a value and they set the tone for that coach oz mm-hmm. in fact four of the blazer coaches two years ago were even were coming to grace coming mm-hmm. to church so that's why like you know when dale osborne assistant coach who's mentoring dame says man dame let's go to chapel dame's gonna go to chapel dame came up to me the year before covid he came up to me he says mike my goal this year is to be at every chapel and he did wow and he did so when leaders like dame cj man cj who's a very close friend cj really from the very get-go, from the first time he came into the league as a, as a rookie, valued chapels. And then as he grew as a leader, that set the tone. Mm-hmm. So you got, if you got Dame CJ and you got coaches, I mean, that's really where the influence was happening. So then you, you apply that to other teams, right? So when you're asking like, hey, what other teams have the most turnout? The most I've seen is Steph Curry. Really? Yep. Mm-hmm. And you know, Steph's been at Golden State this whole time, but Golden State will roll in deep. Huh. No, we're rolling deep, and that really is about you know. And I see that like you get guys on other teams that when they get traded, you see it. You know, mm-hmm. for a while there, OKC was a huge turnout. Russ Westbrook. I mean, you had KD, a bunch of guys from OKC. When James Harden was there, they rolled deep too, and hmm. then they all got traded. So right. you know, but they kind of fed off of each other the value of it. So it's probably true of any organization. Yeah. Do coaches go too? Yeah, okay. coaches, trainers, even management sometimes will, will come wow. in. Just yeah. whoever's there that wants yeah. to attend. Yeah, anybody, anybody that we kind of make it, a, anybody that works with the team, I'll put yeah. it that way. I mean, organizations are huge with pro sports, so you're not going to have anybody that's like director of sales and tickets coming in there. But anybody that actually works with the team is welcome to come. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, we've even had players, I, we've had players invite family to come in. Oh. Yeah, CJ will sometimes say, hey, Mike, I got my brother, I got a friend, you know, can he come to chapel? I'm like, this is your church. This is your church. Right. It's not mine. This yeah. is your church. You invite anybody you want. So, yeah, we've had guests come in that are family guests, and that's that's really cool. We've had other pro athletes 
come to our chapel. You know, guys play pro football, pro baseball that are friends. You know, it's it's all big fraternity right. between the sports, yeah. right? So our guys, like CJ's connected, he's a big Cleveland Browns fan, right? So if you got somebody that's in town from the Browns, CJ's like, you want to come to chapel? They're going to come to chapel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've had other athletes from different sports come in too, which is cool. Nice. So what's, I'd imagine you probably have a lot of interaction in between those times. So what's one of the best like memories you had with these guys? Yeah, that's, a, you know, it's crazy. Cause like when you, you know, you have that chapel time for like 15 minutes, but the real work happens before and after that, you know, mm-hmm. it's like anything, it's about relationships. So a lot of times it's just being present. We always say that it's a ministry of presence. And so I'll show up at the arena even two hours before chapel. Mm-hmm. Just hang out. You're just there. And if guys need you, they know you're there. It's a consistency. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, Mike's over there. And they may not need to talk to you today, but that one time they get news about, you know, something going on in their family or they get a bad report about some medical condition and they start going, man, or I don't know what's going on. I'm in a slump. You know, we all have our struggles. They do too. All of a sudden, they're like, hey, Mike, you got a few minutes? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, that's why I'm here. Yeah. And, they, you know, you sit off on the side and just talk about it, pray together and try to encourage them. So those are the moments where, like, you build that. And then, you know, a lot of times we can text each other later. So what comes out of that is just kind of the opportunity to speak into lives and share. And and then where, where it goes to the whole deeper level is when these guys get married. Oh, yeah. You know? So it's funny, like, you know, these are all young guys. And mm-hmm. so there's a good chance they're going to get married in their first few years of playing you know first with probably within the first three to six years of playing they're probably going to get married and so they need someone to do their wedding who are they going to look to usually the chaplain if mm-hmm. they don't have a family member that's in ministry and so when you sit down with them and their girlfriend and you're talking it gets real fast <laughs> <laughs> real fast like you can't hide right you know and I, and that's true of just being a pastor there'd be people in our church all the time and then they're like hey will you do our wedding and he's like yeah let's do some premarital and that's where you, you know you really pop the hood and it's i always tell people when i do premarital it's it's a sacred place there's a lot of trust you know and that's why you know you keep it all it's all private all confidential never share anything cuz once you lose that you lose trust right. you lose trust you don't have anything so i would say some of the deepest moments have come out of guys um, just opening up their personal life and allowing me to look underneath the hood and in their relationships and stuff. And then a lot of them want you to do their wedding. So I'll never forget <laughs> during doing Seth Curry's wedding. That was crazy. That was probably one of the craziest ones, Seth Curry's wedding. Well, yeah, uh, it's with Doc Rivers' kid, right? That's the thing. Like that's that. Okay, I'll be honest with you, like straight up. So here's the craziest part of the story is like, so Seth is here and we're hanging out and Seth comes to all the chapels. And then I've known Steph because Steph comes to chapels when he's up here. So you kind of get to know these guys through that. And then, and then Callie, who, you know, is Doc Rivers' daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's who Seth's engaged to. And so Callie's like, what's up, you know? And so we're just connecting, talking, and Seth reached out to me. He's like, hey, we want to get married. Can you do some premarital for us? And, you know, like, absolutely, let's do it. So you get to know each other. And so then we, you know, the wedding's down in Malibu. And it's, you know, Doc Rivers has a house on Malibu Beach. Mm-hmm. Rough it, place. It's yeah. a rough place. Yeah. So they're going to do the wedding down there so you got like the whole curry family you know so there's a legacy there with sonia and dale and then you also got you know seth's sister is married to damien who plays for the warriors too (laughs) and then you've got like austin rivers doc Rivers. i mean it's like it's like the royal family that's what it is right and i I, i'm sitting there like this is crazy you know like i'm getting on this like party bus with (laughs) like the Curry family and the Rivers family. (laughs) 
and I'm like, what's a, I'm literally thinking like, what's a middle-aged white dude doing here? <laughs> like, like, like I'm like, I'm just like, it's only a God thing. Cause that's, that's the cool thing about God is all the things that we create stereotypes and boxes. Jesus tears down all those walls. Mm. You know, you look in our world where there's all these indifferences and walls going up. One of the things I've seen is like people can come from different backgrounds, different cultures, but when you like love Jesus, he just tears all those things down and it makes sense, you know, mm. things that you wouldn't see in the world. Like, yeah, that, that doesn't look right, you know, but when you're a family believers, it, it just brings everybody together. And so like that, I think that to me is one of the cool stories personally, but it's also given me that like as a perspective of just seeing the world right now that like Jesus can tear down all these walls and I've seen it and I think it's a really cool thing. So, yeah. Now, who had the best wedding? You know, that's that's interesting because, like, another really close, very close friend that, you know, when you, like, CJ's wedding was interesting and really one of the most special ones because CJ's was wedding was supposed to be in New York, and it was going to be a big deal in New York. And, and Elise is a sweetheart, man. And so it made sense to do it in New York, and then COVID hits. Mm. And so when, when COVID hits, it's like, oh, not everybody can fly to New York. New York was locked down. Yeah. Right. So they decided to do it here in, in Oregon, right out here in wine country, an outdoor wedding. And the max you could do is like 20 people. What? Oh, wow. And so what was really special about that one, it wasn't like the big glam one. Like the curry wedding was like, that's in its own way is like, because it was such a really like elegant large wedding so that was cool in its of itself and then you had cj's wedding with elise out in a, this vineyard with about 20 people and it was so awesome like the intimacy of that being really small you know cj's brother plays pro ball in china and so he was able mm -hmm. to we literally had a had a ipad that he zoomed in for the wedding yeah. it was just kind of it felt family like it just mm -hmm. felt really cool and you know i think there's something about that that was yeah. awesome yeah so you you have to see a lot of interactions because if you're there a couple hours before who in your time has been the funniest just goofiest guy that's always messing around <laughs> myers leonard <laughs> oh really i love myers i just texted him uh last night because they just had uh, their first little baby okay i saw that yeah. um, and i love my myers that was the first wedding i ever did and um, Myers, man, we got we were really tight, still are. And I love Myers, and and I know people saw some things that he did, you know, not that long ago. And it's like I said, don't read everything. You know, these guys are they're humans. They're not they're not they're not you know perfect. But Myers has one of the most sincere hearts I've ever seen. You know, and but anyways, he's one of the funniest dudes. Yeah. And like, man, we'd have so much fun. Like, I would see him just. He's just a jokester, like, yeah. and I love that about him. Yeah, he's having fun everywhere. I remember one time he walked into this was before the game when they're warming up, like before fans are even in there, and he, you know, they're always messing around. He kicked a football. They were having a contest who could kick the basketball, not a football, who could kick a basketball highest into the stands. <laughs> he took out an LED panel. No way. Oh, did before he the really? game, yeah, oh. I was sitting there watching. He just boots the ball and like took out an LED panel. And the ones right like, below, yeah. really below the suites. The, okay, yeah, yeah, that was the one right yeah. below the suites. You know, like with all their sponsor brands and stuff. Like, just, <laughs> just took it out, you know. And he's like, it was, it was fun. I felt like we we're in high school, you know. And everybody's like, I didn't do it. Everybody's running the locker room, you know. Like, <laughs> Who did that? But anyways, those are fun times. Myers was 
is uh, really into like off-roading with jeeps mm-hmm. and stuff so he'd call me up someday and say hey you want to go off-roading and we'd, we'd go grab some guns and just like go out in the wilderness and just have fun just you know plink around shoot at some stumps and go off-roading and just have a good time like myers loves to make sure that people are you know he loves his family he's just loves to see people happy mm-hmm. so yeah cool so you had shared a story from the pulpit a couple mm. weeks back about yeah. a time where you, in the middle of a game, yeah. a player needed you. Can you just, I know you can't go to details, but just kind of yeah. share what you shared that Sunday. Yeah, it's, yeah, without naming names, but I think it's, I think it's good for people to hear stories like this. And because I think it honors the players when people get to see the realness of them, you know, we, we do a disservice to the athletes when we put them on these pedestals and expect them to be perfect. And we don't, we don't treat them as just real people, right? And so, yeah, there was one game b- before chapel. I was talking about going all in with Jesus, you know, and I was using a, a poker analogy. Like, when you got a good hand, you go all in, right? And I was talking about, like, this is what Jesus has done for us, which means we got a good hand, you know? And so you go all in with him. And I brought out a poker chip, and I told every guy, like, you got to decide are you going all in with him or are you going to go all in with what the world offers, right? Like the world says chase after championships, shoe endorsements, contracts. Like not that those are bad, but if that's what you're going all in on, it's still going to leave you empty. You can have all those things and then kind of like, man, my life still doesn't feel satisfied. So I was like, you got to go all in with Jesus. The only thing that's going to lead you to be satisfied, fulfilled. So I gave out these poker chips and I told everybody on the back of them, go, you know, if you want to go all in, just write down, go all in. Because there's going to come times in your life when the stress is going to hit you. Where are you going to turn to put your hope? You got to go all in. Like when times are hard, you get a you get an injury and you're told like, man, you're going to sit out for half the season, or you get traded, or something happens in your family, your marriage. Like we all have those blindsided moments. Like where's your faith in that moment? You got to decide: are you going to go all in or not? Right. So I had them all do that. Brought it in. We prayed. Guys went out to the game, and so I just went up to watch the game. So I'm sitting in my seat and. And about third quarter, I look down and I see one of our players, who's like a pretty, pretty key influential player in the NBA, and gets up off his seat and I see him like run into the locker room. And I saw another player sitting right next to him get up and run like right after him. And then like that kind of like grabbed me as odd. I'm like, usually players only go to the locker room in the middle of a game, like if you're injured and getting treatment or you got to use the restroom. You know, because like that's the only that's the only two reasons, right? right. It's like you got to use it. And so I'm looking at the fr- when he when he got up and r- ran off the bench. I'm like, he's obviously not injured. And and then when his buddy got up and ran after him, I'm like, they ain't going to the bathroom because yeah. dudes don't do that. <laughs> like, it's like that was a you know dudes just don't like hey you know you got to be ready when the coach is like looks down the bench says you're in. So you, you don't like you don't do grouping bathroom runs, right? You're like I gotta go. And so I I was like something's off. So I went down to the locker room and walked in, and, and the one player, the first one that ran there, was sitting there with just tears streaming down his eyes. Mm-hmm. And then the guy that ran after him, his teammate, was sitting in a chair across from him, just encouraging him, just leaning in. And I was like, man, you know, nobody talks about these stories, right? People don't know, like, the weight of pressure these guys carry. Yeah. And, you know, the perfectionism on themselves, perfectionism required by the organization, their families. Everybody wants a piece of them. Everybody does. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants a piece of them. So you just got all that weight and pressure. And so he was sitting there. I don't know what was going on in his life, but he was in tears and just something was overwhelming. So I walked over and I said, hey, can I pray for you? And as they're facing each other, they both looked up at me and they said, all in, right? And I said, all in. And I, I, like, for me, he was making that conscious faith decision at that moment. Like whatever he was struggling with, 
he was saying like, okay, this is it right now. Like all in, we got it. We got to believe that God's going to give me the strength and I can persevere through his power. And uh, so that for me was really hard to see that at the same time, like that's, that's the message for all of us, right? Like that's the story we all need to hear when you're going through hard times, you're going to go all in. Is Jesus your last resort or is he your first option? Mm -hmm. And I think like that's, you know, they're living that out just like the rest of us. Yeah. I'd imagine, I mean, I can only imagine the pressure that they're under day in and day out. Mm. And I, I was talking with a friend um, a couple weeks ago mm. and it's always, you know, we were talking, well, okay, you're running a business. You're mm. taking care of these employees. You're taking care of your friends. Mm. You're always taking care of someone, but who's taking care of you, mm. you know? And I could totally, mm. I, I get that. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they're taking care of a lot of people, you know, too. And sometimes you forget about yourself and letting other people take care of you. Yep. That's a good word. And, um, I got your back, buddy. I'll take care of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks. I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, I can only imagine, you know, the stress they have outside of basketball, too. Mm -hmm. So I'll never forget one guy years ago, you know, he's coming to the league, making his first good chunk of money and home life wasn't good and I remember he said he just got back from home and I said hey man how you doing he's like man that was rough I said really what happened he's like I went home knocked on the door my mom came to the door opened the door first words out of her mouth was where's my effing money oh no really and so you go man like and that's that's not everybody a lot of these guys have great families but yeah a lot of them don't you know it's like man if you're if you're getting that from like a parent right yeah. right like you can imagine people that don't care about you yeah. just want a piece of you so yep. yeah it's it's a hard it's a hard life to live i know everybody's like oh but dude you're making like you know hundreds of million dollars which is true it's like yes and they know that they know like okay but you know struggling is relative struggles we all struggle it's all relative so yeah you know <laughs> Yeah, that's hard. I, I mean, you have the people who are around you when you're coming up, right? And yeah. then you have the people around you when you're up. Yeah. And, I mean, man, that would be hard. Like, mm -hmm. who, who's really your friend? Mm -hmm. You know, who's there just for the money mm -hmm. and the status? Mm -hmm. And who's there for you? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's hard. To, I think that would be really hard to... Yeah. decipher sometimes yeah so. absolutely and you said it really well though is that idea of I mean, these guys really care a lot of them are very generous yeah they try to get back to their communities they try to take care of their families you know a lot of these guys are trying to break cycles of poverty mm -hmm. you know so they're, they're trying so hard to take what they have and you know we all man i i can't imagine when i was 18 19 if somebody gave me like 50 million dollars like, right of course you're going to do some stupid stuff with that. Like, come on. Yeah. So some of that's like, you got to cut them some slack and go, you know, but I would say for the most part, they're trying to pour into other people. So like, that's the good question. Yeah. Who's, who's helping them? Who's pouring into them? Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's hard is the, like you said, we're all human. We all make mistakes. And this culture that wants to pile on anytime somebody makes a mistake. Um, there's a baseball player who had this phenomenal game the other day phenomenal game and he gets up to the podium and instead of talking about this phenomenal game they're talking about a tweet he did mm. several years ago that they were like this is a homophobic mm. 
tweet. Mm. He's like, look, that, you know, I was mm. a kid. I'm mm. sorry if I offended anybody. But you have this kid who's, you know, worked his entire life to reach this moment in his career yeah. to then have to just talk about something that is is not relevant to what happened. And so I think that's one of the problems with what's going on right now is people want to focus on all the negative mm -hmm. and none of the, the positive of mm -hmm. what's going around. Yeah. And when we focus on just the negative, yeah. you know, negativity brings negativity and it's just gonna, it's gonna be a cycle that just keeps going. That's our world right now. I mean, that's everywhere, right? Cancel yeah. culture does that, right? You say one thing wrong, you make a misstep and, you know, of course, if you go against any narratives, right? You know, there's always the more mainstream narrative, and if you have an opinion that disagrees with that, and you're you're canceled fast. Well, right? now it's not even opinion; it's facts. And if you are going, you know, against what they're saying as facts or truth, then you know it's that whole. Well, my truth is my truth, and your truth is your. Like that's not exactly that's not reality. Like nope. there is. The sky is blue. Does yep. it matter what? I mean, right now it may not be. But. Blue behind them clouds. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So it's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a tough one, you know. And, and I think what's happened is, too, is we, sports is an entertainment industry more than actually a sports industry at the pro level. Yeah. yeah. It's really about entertainment. It's about money. I think that's the dark side of any enterprise at the entertainment side, you know, that we've taken sports and we've made it about entertainment, which then we make it about money. So when greed gets involved at every level, it it's just kind of gets funky, man. And so when you, you start looking at popular culture opinions that are circulating out there, you know, you start looking at cultures trying to make sense of like what's right or wrong. And culture has an opinion on that. Mm -hmm. And that's that relative truth, you know, and, when a player says, well, this is what I think, if it goes against public opinion, it's funny how, how like, it's basically hypocrisy at the end of the day. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. everybody should be able to believe what they want, and we should be tolerant. As long as you <laughs> agree yeah. with what we think it should be, then we're not tolerant anymore. And so, okay. It's like you put a mirror in front of culture, and it shows the hypocrisy that we, the world we live in, right? Yeah. So you get a, you get a player right now. There's, they're definitely in pro sports. There is a narrative that needs to, that is being I encourage is probably not even just putting it lightly there's a narrative that sports because let's get, break this down right every form of influence in our society whether it's media whether it's TV whether it's social media whether it's sports every single one of those mediums of entertainment music industry you name it are platforms of influence why because they have an audience right Anywhere there's a platform where there's an audience, the world is going to want to use that for its messaging. Mm -hmm. And so there's a messaging now that's being force fed through the platform of sports. And it's a messaging that doesn't always line up with God's word. So when you have athletes that are like, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, you see that right now with some baseball players mm -hmm. literally happening this week, you know, like where they're going, I don't know if I agree with what is being promoted right now in this season. And so... You know, they get branded as outcasts, things like that. So, again, it's, it's kind of funny how, like, we say there's a tolerance. There's actually not. Uh -huh. There's only a tolerance if you go along with mm -hmm. the narrative and the messaging. Well, so I love what they said about, like, that they still love these people. They still mm -hmm. care for them. They're accepting of them. Just mm -hmm. that that's not something yeah. that Jesus promoted. So that's yeah. not something that they want to promote. Yeah. But they, yeah. he loved them just like they love him. So I thought that yeah. was a – I thought it was well said. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you even saw what happened with Kyrie Irving on vaccines. Mm-hmm. You yeah. get a different view on that, you know, and we don't live in a world that respects people having different views. We just don't. Our culture has one message. It's the way the world works. It's a message that's out there, and if you don't align with that, then you're a hater. You're a this. You're a that. So. I think that's a lot of pressure on, on these, some of these pro athletes that are being discipled and they're growing in Christ and they're like, well, I know I'm supposed to use my platform mm-hmm. to, to do good things, to be a role model, to be an example, and they're trying, but then what happens if like there's a messaging that, that they're like, I don't know if that fits my worldview, right? Biblical worldview. Well, that's I mean, it's like spot. Daniel, right? It's exactly like it. Like he was being told he needed to eat this food. He's like, that's not what, what we're supposed to do. And mm-hmm. so he went against it and, and good things happen. So, but there's that, they're like, but if I do this, then am I going to get canceled? Am I going to get kicked off a team? Am I going to be an outcast? So yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of trust that goes into that. And I mean, I think in, in anybody's faith, at least in my faith, that's where I struggle the most with is trust. Like yeah. I, believe that God's a good God, but am I actually doing it? Like, it's like my wife gave an analogy of a guy on a tightrope with Mm. a wheelbarrow and Mm. she's like, okay, that he's going to push you across. And you're like, okay, I believe that he's going to be able to push me across, but then are you actually getting in the wheelbarrow Mm. and allowing him to push you across mm-hmm. like that's the the difference there's a difference between being on the ground mm-hmm. and believing mm-hmm. and being up in the wheelbarrow <laughs> believing exactly that's a good analogy i'm gonna use that one in a sermon. <laughs> so yeah I, th- I, th- I mean the world has a sin issue and all that's issues it. boil down to that that's and it. every issue does everybody wants to make it about everything else they're looking at the the symptoms mm-hmm. instead of That's the it. underlying issue. And it. and then when you're looking at the symptoms, there's all these solutions that come up that aren't actual yep. solutions to the problem. They're just masked. They're like a Band-Aid, right? Or an Aleve. Like it, mm-hmm. it takes away the headache, but it doesn't actually mm-hmm. do anything that was causing the headache. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's a good point because yeah, I, I, I believe this my whole life is like Jesus came with the gospel message and Jesus first time he ever really declared this is what he's about he went into the synagogue and he's like I'm here to set the captives free I'm here to free up the oppressed to help the blind see he's like I'm here this is why I came right he's the man of the solution and you look at all the problems in the world right now and you're like yeah they all get solved with Jesus like and that sounds so elementary or simple but it's not like there's power in the gospel of Jesus I've seen it I've seen countries you know Rwanda going through a genocide and now everybody's looking to Rwanda of like, how did they, like, how did they not only recover from that, but like, there's reconciliation, there's peace. There's like, oh, that's because of ministries that are like Jesus focused and the leaders of that nation know it mm-hmm. from the president down are partnering with churches in Rwanda saying, you guys bring the solution that we need. So you, I've seen that. I mm-hmm. see that the gospel works. And so what happens though, our world doesn't care about the gospel. So we're trying to solve sin problems with just more sin solutions but a lot of times the solutions either it's just a band-aid or actually it, it just complicates the problem mm-hmm. makes it even worse you see that too yeah so mm-hmm. how would you say that running a church is like running a business good question i i you know it, a lot of guys would probably say you know churches are businesses there is obviously we're 501c3 and there's you know working through tax yeah there's a sure there's a business side of it but i think like every business has an end game in mind right so at the fundamental like baseline if you're going to start a business you're like what are we about what are you producing you know what what are you offering right 
And I think there has to be a strategy that if you say this is our end game, this is what we're about, hopefully what you're producing as a business accomplish that, that end goal. And so if you're a good business person, you're going to build a team around that. You're going to build strategy around that. You're going to stay focused on that. You know what you need to say yes to, what you need to say no to. You need to understand what, what are the barriers between all of that. All those principles apply to leading a church. There's an end game. It's the mission. It's the Great Commission. Raise up, make disciples, go change the world. And so we have to be as strategic in the same way. You've got to say, hey, we've got to keep our eyes focused on what we're about. I think that one of the things churches get in trouble with is they get distracted. And they get off mission really fast. Just like if a business can say, hey, we're about this. You know, if I'm a business and I'm like, hey, we're here to make, you know, uh, windows. That's my business. And one day everybody's like, so we're going we're gonna to make, you know, tires. And we're going to make wrenches. And we're going to make... Okay, you can be, you can try to be mediocre at a lot of things, or you can stay focused. That's why you can look at some fast food places. I mean, I know everybody doesn't like In-N-Out. A lot of people love In-N-Out. They got a simple menu, mm-hmm. and yeah. everybody knows what they're about, and they know the culture they, they want to create. Have a secret menu. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there is that secret <laughs> menu. There is that, and they got secret sauce. We got secret sauce called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's uh, you know I think it's like some of those principles apply. Like you got to stay focused. What are we about? And, and evaluate yourself. You know, we as a, as a staff, as a team here, I'm always asking at the end of the year, if we're about making disciples, that's the Great Commission, that's what we're supposed to do. Like, ask yourself, are we doing that? Are we just entertaining people? Are we just building programs? Like, are we actually seeing life change? Because if we're not, somewhere along the line, we've, we've gotten off track. So same thing what business has got to do. So we've talked about doing SWOT analysis. Are you familiar with SWOT, guys? So what would you say the strength is of Grace Chapel right now? I think, um, funny, we were just talking about this in our staff meeting. I, I think what we would want to say is a strength, but is also an area that we want to keep growing in. And it's, we've been talking about this thing about bold humility as leaders, bold humility. Like bold is where we say we're unashamed of what we're about. We're about Jesus. We're not, see, here's where a lot of churches, you can be really good in the community. Nobody, nobody knows you for Jesus. There's a lot of churches that like, they look good. They're doing a lot of good. But like people still don't know who they're about, what they're about. So for us, it's like, do we have a boldness that like, this is who we are, what we're about. We're not ashamed of that, but a humility. And I think humility means we depend on God to do the work and work really hard to not get in the way. Mm-hmm. And I think like that humility, a lot of churches fall apart because there's, there's a lot of pride. There's not a real dependence on God. There's not a real dependence on the spirit of God. You can build a lot of things in our own effort and it won't have the effect that it could have if it was really dependence on God. So I think bold is like, this is what we're about, but a lot of humility is saying, man, we gotta depend on God and the Holy Spirit to help us actually do those things in his power. I love a verse where Paul says, we actually experience God's power in our weakness. Mm-hmm. And weakness is not something a lot of people brag about. Mm-hmm. You know, in our world, it's like, don't brag about your weaknesses. And Paul says, I actually, I'm gonna brag about my weaknesses because it's in our weakness. And that's humility to admit that that we experience God's power. And I think God wants to empower more. It's just waiting there on the sideline. Humility is what picks up the power of God. And so I, I, I think when I look at our staff and our elders, I see a lot of people who just have a humility and they, they love Jesus, they know their limitations. I think we always gotta keep growing in that, but I think that would be a special part because out of that humility comes a genuine love for people. It's not about ourselves, it's about loving the community, loving others, reaching out. People see us do a lot of work in the community and they would say that's our strength. I would say beneath that though is a humility that says it's not about me. 
it's about others so that might tie that in so well you were talking about the we're you know with the weakness so what, what are, would you say grace chapel's weakness is yeah, that's a good question I, I would say for us you know i would say this to leaders if you use a coin for on one side is your strength but your strength is also your weakness so every leader has like a, they call it the dark side of leadership, right? So if your strength is loving people, for instance, if you're a leader and you're like, man, I have a strength, I love people, I'm available, you know what your weakness is gonna be? You don't have boundaries. You're gonna burn out and you don't know how to say no because that's the dark side of that strength, right? So I think for us, we do, we do a lot of work and I'm, I'm not sure we do a lot of resting. Mm-hmm. So like our team is so responsible. I look at our staff, they work harder than anybody I know. They're so sacrificial. Like our staff will at any time give up everything to run, to respond to anything. But I think our staff can work on resting more and recharging. And you know, that's a, that's a growth area I think, I think for us. So how long have you been here? We've been at Grace. We came in 2005, right? The beginning of 2005, okay. yeah, oh. yeah. So with with that whole resting thing, that's mm. a that's a hard thing. Yeah. But you know, it's biblical, yeah. <laughs> which it makes it even harder. And trying to find that line of okay, you know, it's one of the Ten Commandments. But then Jesus comes and says, "The Sabbath or man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the man." And so, how does that you know how does that time? Because we we do need to rest. We do need totally. to tr- recharge. And something you said the other day that's kind of just stuck with me is just that being able to say no so you can mm-hmm. say yes to bigger mm-hmm. things to be able to have that margin in your life to to do that and you know for me i know i'm constantly go 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 from one thing to another but where's that that margin right for yeah. for yeah. other things that are yeah. available well it's kind of it's a good point because i think that applies to everybody right everybody's we live in a world that's so hectic fast paced and hurry 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 you know run stuff everybody can relate to that right and i think like you know i'm always trying to find the good in things without missing the bad. So COVID had a lot of bad stuff. There was a lot. I, we could sit here and talk about COVID all day. I'll tell you all the bad things <laughs> yeah. in COVID. And, and the leadership, I, I saw how people responded with COVID, but that's all another podcast. The good I would say, though, is that it forced a lot of churches to slow because you can't run programming because, you know, right. you had to kind of like, well, either people aren't coming or, you know, whatever. You had to shut some things down. But I think it forced us to simplify some things. And that, that I think is a good, you know, I talk with a lot of people who on a personal level, not just with churches who are like, man, I spent more time with my family during COVID than I, than I ever have moms and dads hanging out with their kids. Right. And they're like, and I'd, I'd say, yeah, what are you gonna do with that? And they're like, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know if I need to go back. Like we maybe need to change our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. We were too busy running around. Yeah. So this is the Backseat Drivers podcast where we give advice to people. You didn't um, do the little thing. Well, because I had to run on a different thing because the uh, mics weren't working, so I didn't get to press the button. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't man. working, so sorry. Sky so, likes his button. <laughs> what, what advice would you have for our listeners? Just life, business, whatever it is. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think first thing, you know, I'm always going to come at it. Yeah, I mean, you got to find Jesus in the midst of all this stuff. And, I mean, find him. He's there for you. It's not like, you know, he's hiding. Right. Uh, he's like, hey, I'm here, you know. And so, but I, but I think, like, people got to find him in terms in all of your life. You, you, you're going to have to make that decision. What are you living for? Uh, this life isn't forever. Like, we are not, you know, immortal people physically, you know. Like, every life comes to an end. So I tell people all the time, like, what are you living for? And so, like, kind of just take a 
time to reflect on your life and go, yeah, man, like, uh, where am I going to go when I'm done with this life? Heaven and hell is a very real thing. And eternity with God is the best thing ever. Life just begins on the other side of death with Jesus, you know. And so I think that's the first thing I would tell people is find your faith in him. And he has a life that he wants you to live every day today. Between now and when you die, man, there is, I tell you all the time, it's like having an access pass. I use this with the Blazers, right? I have an access pass that I get to go into a locker room. Everybody wants that access pass. What does that access pass do? It gives me access to relationship with athletes. Jesus is our access pass, you know, and he's like, anybody can have that. And he gives you access to his power, his hope, his life, his strength, all of that. And so I tell people, like, if, if I give you access pass and you say no, I kind of look at you like, what's wrong with you, right? So if you got the God of the universe saying, I've done everything for you, I'm giving you all access to everything I have for you. Man, why? Why would you say no to that, man? You know, it's like somebody handing you a winning lottery ticket. Like, yeah. Why? Why would I turn that down? You know. So, I think that's my first advice: is that, and then figure out your priorities in life. Make sure your life isn't defining your priorities. You're defining your priorities, and your life backs that up. So, I I have a question for you. Yeah. <laughs> so, I I actually saw a some statistics recently mm. that attendance in churches mm. it's all-time low, lower than it's ever been. And I think with the way the world is, yeah. it's um You're good. Am I good? People aren't looking to find Jesus, and I think it is hidden for mm. some people mm. with the way the world is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are coming up not knowing anything yeah. about it. I mean, their parents aren't teaching them. They're not showing. Yeah. So how, mm. how do they find that? How, what, what, I mean, the people listening to our podcast, I, I mean, we're not that big, but you know, everybody that listens is important. Yeah. 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 So yeah. how, how do people nowadays find it because it's not being it's not out there in the open Mm. and really i'd say like a lot of people don't talk about it because Mm. they it's the controversial thing you know so be political yeah and it's not political whatsoever so how do we get people to actually find him because I feel like he is hidden to some people and they don't know how. I love that. That's a good one because I remember at the very beginning of COVID, COVID broke out and we're like three months into it and everybody's realizing, oh, this isn't two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Longest two weeks. Yeah, longest two weeks ever, right? We're still doing two weeks. (laughs) And so I'll never forget, I got a call for a Blazer post game. Chad doing, you know, does his radio show and he reaches out to me and he's like, Mike, you know, I do all these post game shows around sports. And I mean, this is like in the thick of like pandemic and people are like, the world's ending, right? There's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety and stuff. He calls me up and he's like, hey, I know you're the team chaplain. We can, we can talk about sports all the time, but can you talk about hope? And he's like, and he goes, don't mask, like, don't mask it. Like, don't be like, is he speaking a metaphor? Like, <laughs> like what's he talking about? Like, he's like, you know, like, what? He's like, just straight up tell him what you know about Jesus, man, and that he's the source of hope. And so I went out and, and he had such a response the first time he asked me to come back. Wow. And I think what I'm seeing in the church right now is the statistics say the number of attendance is down, but the hunger's up. Mm. There's a lot of people out there. They don't know Jesus. They know they're searching. And so I love the question because I think we have depended too much on like a pastor in a church 
to be the source of like the explanation when I think we need believers being more open about their faith. So people are out there. So like when you go to the water cooler, everybody's talking about this stuff. Everybody's talking about like, where are we going, man? Everybody's watching gas prices right now. Everybody's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I was paying two whatever not that long ago and now I'm paying 50 bucks a gallon, you know, like that's what it feels like. Yeah. And there's wars and there's pandemics and there's like this monkeypox thing, which <laughs> it's like everything's blown out of proportion. Uh, but, yeah. but we live in a world, I would say this, we live in a world that monetizes fear. Yeah, mm. for sure. And I call yep. it fear porn. Mm. And I didn't coin that, but that's what I, that's how I communicate it. And so there's just a lot of fear out there. And yeah. so if there's a lot of fear out there, there's an opportunity to bring peace. And I think people don't need church for that. They need Jesus for that, but they can find Jesus outside the church. And the way they find Jesus outside the church is through his people. So my, my encouragement is like all of us that believe in Jesus, be more open to people around you because the hunger's there and the opportunity's there. And I think we just need to be less reliant on like a pastor and know that we all carry the message and we need to share that. that that's mm-hmm. probably my best way of saying that. Yeah. So would you say that church service is more for people who are already believers that mm-hmm. are needing to get fed on a weekly basis? Or is it more for people who are seeking seeking Jesus out? Which, Or is it supposed to be both? And then how do you balance that? I was talking to a, a buddy of mine, a pastor, and he said they have a big church in the area. And they're, they're at 50% of what their tenants was before COVID. Hmm. And, and it's a pretty big influential church in the area. But the cool thing he said was the people that are showing up now are leaning forward, not leaning back. Hmm. So they're hungry. Like the ones that are showing up, whether, whether they've never been to church before and like this is their first time, like coming out of COVID, they're like, man, I never did church, but like I, need, I probably should go to church because stuff's weird in our world right now, man. And I need, I need some perspective. Or there's somebody that, you know, was going to church their whole life. And I think a lot of people got lazy because COVID gave us the best excuse. Stay home. Don't go outside. Yeah. Don't go to public gatherings, you know? And so I think a lot of people were like, oh. And then what churches did to adapt to that, we had to, was we had to have a strong online presence, right? Well, then that just trained people to stay home. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of people, it's kind of showing the priority of like, and you see it with jobs too. A lot of people had to like jobs had to acclimate and go, how do we create a place for people to, you know, zoom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And there's good in that. Like, like we were saying before, yeah. there's an autonomy that everybody wants with that. The downside is you're isolated now. Mm-hmm. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to see like a cycle where there's people who are like, yeah, I checked out a church. It was more convenient to stay home, give it another year. And people are like, that wasn't, that wasn't a solution. Like I'm actually now more isolated. I don't just need a sermon I can watch on TV. I actually need to be in community. I think you're going to see in the next six months to a year, more and more people coming back because staying at home, staying home at work gets isolated. Staying at home from church, you're isolated. Staying home, kids staying at home from school, isolated. Mm-hmm. Like Isolation does not lead to a good path. So I think six months, a year from now, we're going to see a lot of people who are like, are going to start coming back, I think. Well, I mean, we yeah. weren't designed to be isolated. No. I mean, literally, God created woman so that we could have totally. a partner. It's not good for mm-hmm. us to be alone. And, I mean, you've talked about that. Isolation is the exact opposite of what we need. We need to be together in a community. And, yeah, I think the more that you're around people that can feed you, that can 
speak truth into your life because a lot of times we're in our own head. We're thinking things. We are catastrophizing things exactly. in our head and making this scenario. And all we need is somebody to be like, really? Mm. Is that is that what's going on? Mm. I mean, I yeah, there's... I, I can just think of something that I was talking to that was like they were catastrophizing and, and tell me what was going on. I'm like, you're literally just making up this worst case scenario. Mm. I guarantee you that if you just figure it out now, mm-hmm. it's going to be nothing. And they're like, oh, you're probably right. And they they did what I suggested. And they're like, wow, yeah, I, that was nothing. I'm glad I called because it would have been way worse had I just let it be. Yep. So That's a good word right there. Preach that. <laughs> All right, Will, you got anything else? No. All right. Yeah. Oh, Mike, yep. what's what's the name of your podcast? So if people want to listen to one podcast, mm. it's ours. If yeah, it's right. two, what's the second <laughs> one? Yeah. They should listen to your podcast. Vertical Pursuit Podcast. Okay. So Spotify, iTunes, YouTube. And what what is it about? So Vertical Pursuit, the idea of vertical is upward, right? So upward facing, upward focused. And then the pursuit is like chasing after it. And so it's pursuing God but doing it in the context of community. And so we, we call it discipleship, but it's really about helping people in their faith, pursuing God, doing it in community. So we do a lot of, we do a vertical pursuit camp, basketball camp, help kids in their faith with Jesus. And we do a lot of small groups. We've got an app. There's a lot of resources on there, a book that we've put together. So we have a lot of small groups that meet around this. And then we have our podcast. And Mike and I co-host that, Mike Barrett and I. And really we talk about that. That podcast is specifically for men. I, but it's also for women. Um, and so vertical pursuit is not just for men, but the podcast the reason we geared it for a more male audience. Although we're hearing now for almost more women than just men, because uh, a lot of ladies are like, man, thank you. It's giving me insight to how men think, or a lot of them are going, man, my husband, my boyfriend, my son really needs this. So we know we live in a society that's beating men down. And, you know, when you look at the statistics of men and the, and the importance of especially fathers in society, you know, when I meet with like pro athletes and I ask them in your community, what's the one thing you need more than anything? They'll tell you every time be strong male mentors. Yeah. You look at things that are happening in the world right now, shootings, violence, kids dropping out of school, suicide rates. I can go on and on and on. The common denominator in all those things is the lack of a good, healthy role, male role model, father, uncle, mentor, whatever. So we really felt like there was a gap that we needed to step in there. Mm-hmm. And, and culture wants to demonize men. We want to disciple men. And we believe that as we help encourage and build guys up, the trickle effect of that is going to radically change families. And if you change families, you'll change society. Yeah, absolutely. I believe in that 100%. Yep. So get out there. <laughs> yeah. Be a part of the solution. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, for coming on. We appreciate, yeah, appreciate it. it. We'll have you back on. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Love it. All right, well, uh, join us next time on Backseat Drivers.